Motivation can be a powerful force in our life. Therefore, we must be motivated to live out our faith. Because, believe me, there are days when I am motivated to do things. Whether it be to to come to church or to work out or to eat right or to, to, to be the best husband I can be. I am motivated to do those things. But there are days when I lack motivation. And I need that kick in the pants, or I need that dose of reality to remind me of the power that is at my disposal. Have you ever been there? Because sometimes we just like to be in a bad mood. Sometimes we like to do nothing. There are days like yesterday. How long was that day yesterday? Rain. Don and I stayed in the house all day. Part of me hated it, and another part of me loved it. Because We just weren't motivated to do a whole lot other than just what we normally do on Saturday. But whether it be what you're doing with a day or what you're doing with your job or with your loved one or what you're doing with the Word of God, we must be motivated. So what is our motivation for living out our faith? Why do we do what we do? Well, Paul lays that out in this passage today because, folks, we are all the same. But we are separated by our motives. This can be seen clearly in recent days. All you have to do is turn on the television or look on your computer or or smart device. That in recent days, our nation's highest office changes command. Donald J. Trump was sworn in as our 45th president. And arguably that position is considered the most powerful position in the world. You may have watched the inauguration as I did and thinking, I am witnessing history today. I've seen other inaugurations, but this one, it just seemed bigger. Maybe it's because I'm older and I can understand it more, or maybe it's everything that led up to this, but but my eyes were glued to the TV as they covered the inauguration that day. And you know, whether we agree with a president, any president for that fact, any authority or any biblical preset that is found in God's Word, whether we agree with them or not, we must respect them. And as our president, even when there were presidents in office that I did not vote for, I respected the office. And we have to pray for our president. We have to pray for our Congress. We have to pray for our Senate. But I would be remiss if I didn't say that everyone in Washington, D.C. does not have the same motive of defending our Constitution and protecting our country. They're all in the same building. They have similar upbringings. They were all voted into office, but their motives are very different. And I'm not throwing politicians under the bus because I would say in every church in America today, even across the world, there are people that come to church with different motives. Sometimes it's to feel better about yourself. Sometimes it's to see other people. Sometimes it's to to hear God's word preached. It could be any number of motivators. And so don't worry, this is not a a political message. I'm not going to go into a rant about about the, the politics and the state of the union. You can turn on the TV and see that. But what I'm talking to you about is our response. It doesn't matter who's president. It doesn't matter what situation we're in. It doesn't matter how much money we have in our bank account. It doesn't matter how many times we attend church. It doesn't matter. All that matters is is that we are living for the king. That we are living 
out our faith. And there are so many Christians today that if this is living for Christ, they're right here. Just shy of living the life that God has created them to live. And so, as we look at this passage, we live in a free democracy. We know that we have input. We had our chance to vote. But now we have to support. And so my goal this morning is for us to focus on the fact that we have been put here as a purpose. Folks, we are the blood-bought, redeemed church. Do you understand that? You are part of a movement. That when Jesus Christ died and he rose and a small band of rebellious followers started following him, you are part of that movement. It's not about our ties and our dresses and our, and our, uh, our Bibles, how thick they are, what version they are, or, or who's sitting in the pew beside us. It's about living the life that God has called us to live. And I love how in verse 11 of chapter 3, we can read this. It says, In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, But Christ is all and in all. Folks, you and I have to stop looking at the numerous reasons for segregating our life. We've got to quit compartmentalizing our life, saying this is for church, this is for this week, this is for the weekend. And it all needs to be one glorious life that we live. Trying to live separate lives can be exhausting on somebody. But remember, our natural desire is what? Our default is sin. Our natural desire is to look out for ourselves. But folks, let me tell you this. The walls you build to protect yourself will be the very walls that imprison you. The walls you build to protect yourself will be the very walls that become your prison. It's not about us It's not about what we get. It's not about being safe. It's not about making sure that all of our selfish needs are met. It's about making Him known. And when we plug into that fact and we realize that there is no difference between someone in the color of their skin or in in whatever orientation they have and all of these other things that we are segregating people by, folks, we are in Christ. We are all in all. We are all in Christ. That is our common denominator. That's where we start. So if you want to begin living the Christian life, you've got to remember that all of us are in the same boat that have prayed to receive Christ as our Savior and Lord. But there are many causes that a person can get behind today, but no cause or movement will bring you to the full gospel-centered life that God has created you for. We even see in the Scriptures, Jesus made no distinction between someone's ethnicity their gender, their mannerisms, upbringing, or social status. Folks, Jesus is the equalizer. In him, we are all the same. He sees everyone the same today. He sees you just as he sees that child that's impoverished in a war-torn country. He sees that protester in the street. He sees that senior adult. He sees that man or that woman simply trying to make ends meet for their family. Folks, whether you are Peter or whether you are Judas, he sees you the same as worth saving. You could be the best of the best 
or you might feel like you're the worst of the worst. But hear me today. Jesus loves you and he wants to save you from yourself. Amen. Have you been saved like that? I think many of you in here have. But when's the last time you felt the weight of that save? When's the last time you realized what you were like before you met Christ and what your destiny was before you became a Christian? Folks, living life is more than going to church. We are together. We are worshiping one God, one Savior. And the first thing, the motivator that we see that Paul talks about in this passage is we should be motivated by God's grace. By God's grace. Do you remember that feeling at some point in your life when you realized that you were not worth saving, but God saved you anyway? That the message you had made of your life had just unraveled to the point to where there was no hope? And then in the midst of that darkness, you saw a light, and that light was Jesus Christ, and that was the hope. You did not deserve, but he gave it to you because he loves you. That is God's grace. We should be motivated by God's grace. It's not like we win the lottery and then all of a sudden we keep all the money for ourselves. A true Christian, we win the lottery by receiving God's grace, which is worth far more than any amount of dollars could could buy us here on this earth. And then we receive that grace. It should motivate us to share that grace. Well, what did he say here? He says in verses 12 through 14, he says, Therefore, God's chosen ones, that's a big word, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has complained against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. As we look at this, I want to take a few of those passages or a few of those words and explain to you what I mean by God's grace, what Paul meant by God's grace. Number one, God chose you. Of all the people, if you are a Bible-believing, saved Christian and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is nothing you did to deserve that. There is no amount of Sunday school lessons you heard to get that status. There is no amount of preaching sermons you heard to get that status. You got that because of the grace of God. And he chose you for that. Why did he choose you? I don't know. I don't know why he chose me to do what I do. But he did. And so we, we think about the fact that God chose the Israelites as a people group to display his glory through this mystery. There is no doubt that we can not see that God chooses people to bring glory to himself. God created you and he knows you better than anyone else. Warren Wiersbe says this. He says, The miracle of the divine election did not depend on anything that we are or that we have done, for God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He chose us before the foundation of the world. The next thing we see is God chose you to be set apart because he loves you. You are set apart. You are chosen. Why are you a Christian? Why do you have faith? Look at me, folks. God loves you. This, this faith that we have by reading this Bible and, and having the Holy Spirit work in our life is because He loves us. I remember, oh boy, when, when Don and I were getting married, what glorious times those were. 
especially when you had to go register for things. And I remember, where did we go, Donna Belks? We registered at Belk. So we went into that section of the store no man ever goes into until after he's married. The pots, the pans, the irons, the silverware, and the dishes, and all these things. So here we are, and she is dragging me through this place. Oh, this iron looks good, and, and all this stuff. So we're looking out, and we're picking things to put on our registry. And then, what's the most important thing you have to decide on when you do your registry? The china. Oh boy, the china. So, we picked the china, and... Man, it was great. We registered it, and we got just about everything. I think there was a plate or a fork or something we didn't get. But you know what? That china is in our house today, in a china cabinet. So we have, we have china that we cannot use, but it's dedicated. It was given to us. We picked it out. We chose it to represent our marriage and our love. And sometimes on special occasions, I'm allowed to eat off of that stuff. And I tell you what, we almost had a, a critical situation about a year or two ago. The china cabinet that we were in, something happened to it and it started getting cockeyed and those things almost fell. Luckily, my man Larry McLeese and Gary Bryant came over and they fixed it up, didn't you, brother? You saved my life. Thank you. But those dishes, every time I look at that, I think of a wedding. I think of... Getting drugged through belts. I wasn't getting drugged through belts. I enjoyed it, okay? I enjoyed it. And I enjoy looking at those dishes because they remind me of the commitment that Donna and I have made to one another. It reminds me of our love for each other. It's so much more than just China. Folks, when God chose you, God chose you just like we chose those dishes. And that choice represents the love that he has for you and that he has for the church. So when I go to church and I see a bunch of believers, I'm looking at God's dishes, those that he chose and that he loves. And he puts on display for others to see that love as well. God chose you to be set apart, just like those plates were set apart from every other plate we have in our cabinet. Those are the special ones. You don't touch them. Unless Donna gives permission. Do you find it hard to think that your life is not your own as a believer? If God chose you, that means that, that you are His. You are His servant. First Corinthians six nine First Corinthians six verses nineteen through twenty says, Don't you know? Let your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Folks, we are motivated to live a Christian life because God has chosen us and that he has set us apart and called us holy. Now, I've had the privilege to officiate many weddings so far, and I've been married myself. And so I understand the whole wedding thing. And, and you see the bride and you see the groom. And, I mean, everything is happy. And, and you get to the, um, the, the vows. And, and I vow to you in better sickness and health till death do us part. And they look at each other and they're crying. And it's so happy. Happiest day of their lives. Because that day, when that 
man commits to that woman, he is saying that any other woman I meet in my life, I'm saying no to. And that woman looks at that man and says, every other man that comes into my life, I'm saying no to because I am committed, I am married, I chose you to be my life partner. That we would do life together until God separates us. You can understand that kind of commitment, can't you? Folks, when Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin and you received salvation and God chose you, he doesn't want you running off with anybody else. Do you get it? How would you like to go to a wedding where all of a sudden the bride says, I'm out of here, and she runs off with the best man? Oh, that'd be awful. Yeah, especially if you're the guy left at the altar. Or vice versa. The, the guy says to the bride, you know, I love you, but I love your matron of honor even more. We're out of here. That would be awful. But folks, when we say that we love God and that he is our all in all, and we spend our lives doing everything but living the life God has called us to, but the life that God has chosen us to live, we are doing the same thing. We are being unfaithful to the commitment that we have made to God. And it doesn't bother us. And it's just as bad. He has chosen us. And we should be motivated by the love and that choice to serve Him and to live a Christian life. Folks, you will never be living out your faith unless you grasp the fact that God chose you to reveal Himself to others. As it says on the screen, if you are a believer today, you are chosen. You are set apart. Just like the china dishes. And you are loved. And then this next motivator, it's kind of hard for some people, but it's the truth. Our next motivator for Christian, well actually this is part of the first motivator. As part of the fact that we are to be motivated by God's grace, folks, we were forgiven by God. There was a six-year-old one time that they were asking him about forgiveness And a six-year-old was overheard reciting the Lord's Prayer at a church service. And he said, And forgive our trash passes as we forgive those who passed trash against us. Isn't that cute? Out of the mouth of babes. Folks, many have passed trash against you, have they not? And if you be honest, you've passed trash to other people. That needs forgiveness. Some places... You need to receive forgiveness. In other places, you need to give it. It says here, Paul says we need to make allowance for others. That doesn't mean look at them and saying, oh, bless their heart. You know, when southern people say bless your heart, that means they think you're an idiot. Oh, bless him. Bless her. That's not what it means when he says Make allowances for other people. That means you understand that some people aren't going to get it. You're going to understand that some people are hard to love. You're going to understand that there are some people that are hard to forgive. But you're motivated to do it because you yourself have been forgiven from God Almighty through the blood of Jesus Christ. That should motivate us. And also we should love others as God has loved us. Paul says... Above all, clothe yourselves with love. I want you to get the word picture here. Is that he was saying, you know, back in those days, men wore a lot of clothes. They had tunics. They had 
sashes. They had all of these different parts of clothing. And so he says, above all, love one another. In other words, picture a garment going around everything that he's wearing to bring it all together. Above all, love one another. If you have God's grace, if you have God's forgiveness, and if you know that God has chosen you to bring glory to him, then you will love others as God has loved you. That's a motivator. The second motivator we see is that the peace that comes from Christ himself, the peace that comes from Christ, it says in verse 15, and let the peace of the Messiah, to which you are also called in one body, control your hearts and be thankful. The peace of the Messiah. Folks, Paul knew that character was proven in conduct. We can say that we are a Christian all day long, but people will know it when we act like it. And we must be sure of who we, of who we imitate. We must be sure of who we imitate because here's the thing. We will never have peace in our Christian life if we are imitating the faith of others. There was a story one time of uh, President Calvin Coolidge had some, some folks over to his house, to the White House for dinner, and all the, they were like from his home state where he was uh, from, um, kind of a backwoods kind of place. And so they were eating, and he took out a saucer, and he filled the saucer with coffee. And the, those people didn't know any better, so they pulled out their saucers, and they filled it with coffee. Then he got some cream. And he put the cream in the saucer with the coffee. They did the same. And they were about ready to pick it up and start sipping it when he took the saucer and he put it on the floor so the cat could have it. They were imitating the wrong thing because they didn't know any better. And folks, as we look at the peace of God, the only way we will know peace with God, the peace of God, is to follow him and him alone. We will never know the peace of God apart from honoring him. Philippians 4 Verses 6 and 7 talk about that. It says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me be very clear. Having God's peace does not mean that everything is working out. It does not mean that you understand everything. It does not mean that you feel like you could even make it another step. But the peace of God is this, of knowing that even whether it's in the hard times or the good times, knowing you're right in the middle of where he wants you. And if it is a hard time, that you know his hand is holding you. We also see a motivator number three in verse 16, God's word. God's word should be a motivator. Remember the old saying, God's word says it, so that settles it? No, it doesn't. God's word says it, period. There's nothing to argue. God's word should be a motivator. It says, let the message, in verse 16, let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Folks, God's world will enrich and fulfill your lives. Paul warns us about the the pitfalls of empty living, on empty words. The people of those days that Paul was writing, they said to be a Christian, it was not only Jesus, but you had to be circumcised. You had to eat the right things. You had to do these rituals. That was not the gospel. That was religious duties that they were doing to try to make themselves feel better. And it was a farce. 
Folks, you could be at church every time the doors are open. You could even have a leadership position in a church. But if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, it is just an empty life filled with religious activities. If you feel empty and unfulfilled, it's because you are living by the wrong rules. You ever heard of Jim Marshall? They call him Wrong Way Jim Marshall. There's a picture of him right there. He's cowering and holding his head because he was playing as a defensive back in a football game. He got the the football and he ran for a touchdown in his own end zone. So he was called Wrong Way Marshall. He was not following the rules. He, he went to the wrong end zone. Folks, without God's word guiding us, we will get turned around and we will go to the wrong end zone every time. How many times have you ever applied biblical truth to your life and it not work out better than when you tried to do it on your own? Never, never, never. In our homes, in our office, in our school, in our church, wherever the word goes, We go. And wherever we go, the word goes. Empty words will bring empty lives. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word is Jesus Christ. In the presence of God's word in our lives, it will be visible. Notice it said in verse 16, that if we are living in God's word, we will be teaching, we would be admonishing, and we will be singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a Is that gratitude? No, it's not. Or even, I don't know that song, I ain't singing it. That ain't gratitude. I mean, if you want a choice, let's go all down to Redwood. We'll all go to Redwood and pick what we want. But folks, we will never live a godly life in the life that God has intended for us to live if we're focused on how it meets our needs rather than how we meet His needs. We got it backwards, folks. The presence of God's Word will be in our lives. And the fourth motivator we see is the name of Jesus. Folks, and whatever you do in word or in deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Folks, do you consider yourself a Christian? Most of you would probably say yes. Those of you that are in South Carolina, would you consider yourself a Carolinian? Why are we a Carolinian? Because we live in Carolina. We are from Carolina. We are a Carolinian. So if we take that school of thought... Christians, we are of Christ. You realize when the term Christian began, it was a term of slander, of hate, and of discontent. People would say, oh, look at those little Christs walking around. They want to be just like Jesus. They're little Christians. That's where your heritage came from. It was a derogatory term that has now turned into a label of honor and power of living the Christian life. What does this mean to you today? We wear the label of Christian proudly today. Jesus' name, it brings authority. And bearing his name is a privilege. We are motivated for living out our faith because of God's grace, the peace that comes from Christ, 
God's word in the name of Jesus. So if you are faltering in your life of living that life that God has had for you, I would encourage you to plug in these four factors into your life. And I promise you, it will become much easier. At least you will be motivated to do so. Because I'll tell you what, folks, there is a number of things that would seek to replace those. Number one might be wealth. Number two might be comfort. Number three might be the praise of men. I don't know what it is for you in your life. But even for me, I have to struggle every day to make those my motivators, to be motivated. Because if these do not motivate you to live out your faith, then my question is, what do you have faith in? Because in God's grace, we have to experience it. In the peace that comes from Christ, we have to know him. In God's word, we have to desire it and obey it. And then finally, the name of Jesus, we have to testify to it. So if your life is filled with religious duties and actions and you still feel unfulfilled, let me tell you, my friend, as a Christian, there is more to life than praying a prayer and walking an aisle and getting dumped. I don't say that to be derogatory to anybody or those processes because I have full respect for baptism. But here's the thing. So many people, they will get baptized and then do nothing with it the rest of their lives. Do you want to live the life that God has created you to live? Focus on God's grace. Focus on peace. Focus on God's word. And focus on the name of Jesus. And if you do not have Jesus in your life today and you're upset by what's going on in your life, I've got news for you. It won't get any better unless you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Live the life that God has created you to live today by embracing him and his word. Let's pray. God.